My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. To those of you who are season one listeners, welcome back. And to those of you who are new to my podcast, welcome to season two of the Pregnancy Wellness Podcast, hosted by me, Pip. I'm a practicing midwife and enthusiast of all things women's wellness, especially when it comes to pregnancy and motherhood. Do you find yourself with lots of pregnancy questions unanswered? Do you feel that extra midwifery support would be useful to you? Do you fully understand how to enhance your pregnancy wellness? You are in good hands. This podcast is for you. Alongside this, I have also been busy creating a 12-month pregnancy journey support group and course to provide you with a whole package of expert wellness and pregnancy information to guide you every step of the way, leaving no stone unturned from trimester one right through to trimester four. And I'm now enrolling expectant mums in their first trimester. Spaces will be limited, so if you think this sounds like you, get in touch through my social media or at midwifepip.com. Over the upcoming 15 episodes, I'm excited to be chatting with expert guests and real women on this season to bring you honest, evidence-based information and top tips to navigating your pregnancy wellness journey. I hope these episodes leave you feeling positive and empowered. And don't forget, for more support and birth preparation, to check out my website, midwifepip.com, for your free birth preference plan download. I hope that you are sat comfortably and ready for the midwife chats and knowledge bombs to commence. One of the most important things to consider as a new parent is ways to practice safer sleeping with your little one. Sadly, sudden infant death syndrome claims the lives of around four babies each week in the UK. So informing ourselves about ways to help reduce this risk and to ensure that your baby is sleeping as safely as possible is a key part of your parenthood preparation. I am delighted to be joined on this week's episode by the wonderful Stella Parkin, who works for the Lullaby Trust, to talk through ways we can do just that and to provide you with some of the essential information that you need to support your little one's safer sleeping journey. If anyone has not yet checked out the Lullaby Trust website, I highly recommend that you do. It's a fantastic resource that can provide you with the best evidence-based information about safer sleeping and reducing the risk of sudden infant death syndrome. And it is linked in the bio of this episode. So joining us for today's chat is Stella. 
Stella qualified as a registered general nurse in 1986 at Guy's Hospital in London. Following a range of nursing roles, including working as a practice nurse and a school nurse, Stella undertook her health visitor qualification and gained a PGCE, working as a lecturer in a range of health-related courses. Stella initially joined the Lullaby Trust in 2016 as a regional development officer in the Southwest. The role involved representing the Lullaby Trust at a regional level to raise awareness and to maintain awareness around sudden infant death syndrome within this region and to spread safer sleeping messages, mainly through the delivery of training. She also supported bereaved parents in the region through annual family days and was the local contact for Lullaby Trust Befrienders. Stella now works as the professional development lead within the Lullaby Trust. And this new role means that Stella is involved with ensuring that the Lullaby Trust work reflects the public health priorities. So welcome Stella, and thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us today and help educate us all. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Pip, for asking me and, and having this chance, really, um, <clears throat> to talk about such an important subject, really, and you know, to try and give some sort of clear information to families, to parents and carers, anybody who's looking after a baby around safer sleep. So thank you ever so much. Oh, no, I'm so pleased that we get this opportunity because, like you say, it's such an important subject. And I suppose it's one of those, isn't it, Stella, that we almost don't like to think about perhaps as new or expectant parents, but we really need to consider to try and think about the safest ways to practice sleeping with our babies. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think you're right. I think people think, oh, my goodness, you know, it's a horrible subject and I don't want to think about this, really, for my lovely new baby that's about to be born or just has been born. But I think all parents, you know, should have the information to make informed choices about how they put their baby down to sleep, whether that's in the day or whether that's during the night. So it is, you know, an important topic, but I appreciate some people don't really want to think about it. Absolutely. Definitely. So hopefully today's chat is going to be for those who perhaps didn't want to consider it, but we're going to just start introducing it in a in a less scary or less intimidating way, really, because we yes. do a lot of this sleep thing. So we need to make sure we're prepared <laughs> yes. for how we're going to navigate it. Absolutely. <laughs> now, Stella, for those um, listeners who aren't familiar with the Lullaby Trust, would you mind just um, explaining to us kind of what it is and what the purpose of the Lullaby Trust is for us? Yep, yep, no problem at all. So we're a charity and we formed in 1971. So we're actually just gone into our 50th year Wow. Um, congratulations. congratulations. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, planning some virtual things as we go through the year. Of course, everything has to be virtual at the moment. Um, so our, we, our overriding kind of role really is to raise the awareness of sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS, which some people might know as COPDEF. Um, I'll talk more about that in a moment. And um, the principles of safer sleep. And we raise that awareness to both parents and carers, but also to professionals as well who are actually giving information and advice. So they need to know that information and where it comes from. And as you said in your opening, you know, the evidence behind it is really important. 
Um, the other things we do are around supporting bereaved families. So unfortunately, as you said, about four babies a week are still dying every year. Um, and we know that some of those deaths were potentially preventable. Um, so we support families who have unfortunately had a baby die. And we do that through our helpline, which is open 365 days of the year. And all that information is on the website. And also through our really fantastic team of befrienders who are all um, either bereaved parents themselves or have been touched by a baby being having died. So they could be a grandparent or they could be an aunt or they could even be an older sibling even, um, depending when that baby died. Um, and then in combining with that, really, the other thing that we facilitate nationally is the care of the national... Um, Care of the Next Infant Programme, CONI, um, and that's available um, not everywhere, unfortunately, but it is across uh, Northern Ireland, England and Wales, and that is specifically really for families who've had a baby die and then find themselves pregnant again, and then obviously, you know, there are high anxiety levels associated with that, so it's a programme that we facilitate with the NHS and other partners um, and providers who are providing public health services. And then the last thing we do, the biggie as well, is fund research. So we're trying to find out more about the causes of SIDS and importantly, the risk factors for SIDS. So we've got quite a lot going on really um, as a charity. Um, and you know, more and more people have you know, found us over these 50 years um, that we've been going so that's brilliant so yeah have a look at the website if you've not looked at it already because there's loads on there to yeah. help. what I love most about the website and I always direct parents that either I teach in antenatal classes or that I meet through my NHS work I always direct them to your to your website because the infographics I just think are amazing yes they're so yeah. simple and when we talk about kind of safer sleeping and we'll talk about sort of ways to practice that I'm sure as, as we go on to chat today but actually some of the things are really simple it's not big complicated yes. changes it really, it really isn't no just it display really... it beautifully so I, I yeah I love it yeah. I can't recommend that website enough and we do have a sort of arm to the lullaby trust called little lullaby um which I don't know if you found already Pip or some of your um listeners might have found and that's really targeted at young parents so parents under 25 it's a dedicated website um for them and it's a way that young people can connect with each other through writing blogs or they sometimes take over our social media for a week and they share their stories about their baby and things going on in their life and you know they give support and information to other young people so it's you know another part of the lullaby trust which um you know not everybody's always aware of so for anybody's under 25 out there or professionals that are working with people who are under 25 so yeah have a look yeah. at that that sounds i've not heard of that seller but that's yeah that's got almost a community feel to it as well exactly so exactly so they're yeah they write blogs and they they do vlogs which i didn't know what a vlog was i had to ask so you know <laughs> a vlog apparently showing my age um so they can they can connect in different ways and there's information on there just general information about being a parent not just about safer sleep and sids so yeah it's quite a good sort of space to find and you know um, connect on yeah well let's link that in the bio as well so that those mums that are under 25 can 
kind of shortcut yeah to and dads people. and dads and don't dads. forget dads no dads that's true too. or partners and partners in general <laughs> Everybody. You know, anybody absolutely who's under 25 and involved in caring with a baby um then yeah that's the space for them absolutely so and that's great. a really good point actually that we raised talking about dads or partners or support network it might be that it's a mum or, or a friend or sister or whatever but actually when we discuss safer sleeping this is something that we need to educate that whole family unit yes. or anyone that might be caring for that baby about don't we it's not just on one person at all no it, it absolutely isn't and I guess Covid has changed things a bit hasn't it because babies yeah. are probably a bit more staying in one place but increasingly as we open up after Covid um, there is the potential that babies and they might already be in a bubble with another, you know, with a caregiver like a grandparent or um, you know, babies don't always sleep in the same place. They do go to other places to sleep. So you know, does that person that's looking after that baby know about safer sleep? How do they get that information? So it is really important that everybody who's involved with that baby, the care of that baby knows how to put that baby down in a safer way. Absolutely. So to anyone listening who perhaps is navigating their baby sleeping with, with someone else's responsibility or in a new place for the first time, feel free to either direct them to that Lullaby Trust website or ask them to listen to our chat today so that they've got that information and then you can be a little bit more relaxed about knowing that, that safer sleeping practices are, are going ahead even when you're not the main carer for your baby. Yeah, so absolutely. Stella, about um, SIDS or sudden infant death syndrome. Do you mind just yeah. elaborating a little bit about what that is for us? No, not at all. So SIDS stands for sudden infant death syndrome. So this is when um, a baby dies under the age of one year and that death remains unexplained after that that baby has had a thorough investigation and post-mortem so sometimes we do find a cause of death for babies you know they have an unknown condition or disorder or something has happened to that baby that actually then there is a diagnosis but there is a percentage of babies every year that actually no cause can be found and if that happens to um, an older baby over the age of one, then it's a sudden unexpected death in childhood. So sometimes um, when a death is registered, it might be called something slightly different. So people might have heard different names other than sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS. So sometimes it's just called unexplained. Sometimes it's called um, unascertained. Um, all basically meaning we don't know what's happened to that baby, unfortunately. Cop death now is largely not used um, as a term, although many people will know that term, really because it can be a bit confusing because it can imply that that baby, that babies only die in a cot or in that kind of sleep space. But unfortunately, we know that isn't always the case, certainly. So we try not to use that term. Um, so about around about 230 babies die every year where we don't know what the cause of death is. And as we've said, that's about four babies a week, which I don't know why, but it sounds more when you break it down to per week, doesn't it, than a national number. Um, and ultimately, we don't know the definitive cause of SIDS. What we do know, it's likely to be a combination of things, of factors happening to that baby 
at a vulnerable stage of their development. So we know that SIDS is more common in the first six months of a baby's life. It peaks between two and four months old. And then after six months, that risk seems to drop down. We know that certain babies are more at risk. So babies that are born prematurely before 37 weeks, low birth weight babies, uh, five and a half pounds or two and a half, um, 5.5 pounds or two and a half kilograms, get it right round row. I'm old enough to be working in old money, really. Um, <laughs> smoking is a risk factor, taking drugs, drinking alcohol in pregnancy. And then we know that there are potentially some unknown genetic factors potentially going on. Um, and then it's really important, the other bit that, to factor in all of this is then that baby is put in, in, in a situation that raises the risk. So let's say we've got a baby that's four months old, it was premature, and then it's put in an unsafe sleep position, let's say on its front, or put in an unsafe sleep environment, let's say on a soft surface, um, or it's overwrapped and overheated. So when you have a combination of all these things happening together in one individual baby, we know that the risk is higher for that baby. So the difficulty is that we don't always, you know, when you look at a baby, you can't tell if there's a genetic factor at play. We have no idea. So our advice is based around the things that we can do, we can change, we can, you know, give information and advice to parents and carers to do something different or try and follow the advice consistently. So hopefully that gives people a bit of an idea about what SIDS is. Yeah, thank you, sir. That's really, really helpful. And, and I appreciate for, for those listening, it's a, it's a really heart-wrenching subject. And it's it definitely is. a mum myself. I just think I don't know how you even comprehend dealing with such a heartbreaking situation. No. But I guess the good thing, the positive thing, is there's stuff that we can actively do to try and reduce this risk and practice some yes. safer sleeping with our babies. Do you mind explaining to us, Stella, some of the practical things that we can do and those things that we can control to try and reduce this risk? Yes, of course. So we talked about sleep position. So um, the Back to Sleep campaign happened in the 80s. Um, I, my children were born in the 80s and early 90s, so I was directly affected by that as a mum. And when I had my eldest child in 1988, we, I put him down to sleep on his front. You know, I, I was a nurse at the time, but I was a staff nurse on a male general surgical ward. You know, what did I really know about sleeping babies? And, you know, the advice around me was, you know, well, I wasn't really given any. So he slept on his front because that's what babies did, didn't they? By the time we got to 1991, things were starting to change a bit. And my next child slept on their side, thinking that was safer than on their backs. However, we know or on their front, I should say, safer than sleeping on their front. However, we know both front sleeping and side sleeping are risk factors for SIDS. So the safest place is to put a baby down to sleep on its back for every sleep. Daytime naps, whether it's 10 minutes or, you know, longer periods during the night, hopefully. Um, we know that a baby sleeping on their front, the SIDS risk for that baby is six times higher wow. than it baby was on its back we know that some babies it's even higher risk for that baby 
So if you have a baby that is normally slept on its back, and for some reason that night, that day, that nap, whatever it is put on its front, then the risk increases for that baby. And then we also know babies that are preterm and low birth weight, if you put them on their front, the risk is higher for them as well. So it is that, you know, if we can, is encouraging parents to um, always put their baby down to sleep, whatever time of the day it is, and start that right from the word go. You know, unless there's a medical reason, you know, unless that baby, let's say, is in um, neonatal unit, and there is a medical reason for that baby to be slept on its front, then obviously that baby slept in hospital on its front. And it's a different scenario then, isn't it? Because they are being monitored 24 hours a day. They're, you know, being what we would call as nurses, specialed, you know. So it's a different environment when you bring a baby home. So before a baby is discharged home from, you know, special care baby unit or the neonatal unit, then that baby is usually turned over on its back before it's discharged home. And then once that baby gets home, it should be slept on its back unless there's medical reason for it not to be. Um, but the situation is quite unusual, really. Yeah, definitely. I to totally agree. Yeah. And you raise a really good point, Nestella, about the changes in advice over generations. And I think that's really important to address because for new parents, that's quite likely to look like they're going to have parents or grandparents that are saying to them, no, no, your baby can sleep on its front, it's fine, or put your baby on its side. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's really important we start to challenge that and that people don't feel pressured because they recognise how the evidence has evolved over the yes, years. Yes, absolutely. You know, that single act of turning babies onto their backs saves so many babies' lives. Just doing that one thing, let alone the other things that we're going to talk through that can also help reduce the risk. And yeah, you're absolutely right, you know, I'm of an age where my children are having, could have children, you know, but, but, you know, I'm lucky I know the advice that I can give them, but not everybody would, if they've not had any contact really with babies, why would you keep up to date with that information? There's no reason why you would and realise it's changed. So yes, it's, you know, trying to get the word out to everybody and anybody. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Stella. Now, one of the other questions I quite often get from new parents is about kind of products or baby items that we should um, either avoid or encourage to um, try and reduce the risk of SIDS as well. Have you got any advice about any specific products that perhaps shouldn't mm. be used with, with safer sleeping? Yeah, it, I mean, it's very confusing for parents, isn't it? Because you know, if you go into a department <laughs> store when they're open, um, which, of course, they are again now in most parts of the country, I think, um, yeah. <laughs> or you look online, there are so many products out there making so many different claims yeah. to help babies sleep, get them to sleep for longer. You know, there's so much out there. It's so confusing for, for a new parent. What do I buy? What do I need? And people are raving about this product, that product. And new parents are a marketing dream, aren't they? Oh, well, well, absolutely. <laughs> and they all look so lovely, don't they? They're all, you know, magical designs and and yeah. So why not? You know, well, my baby's gonna look lovely in that. So there are some things to be really aware of. So particularly pods and nests. Um, we really encourage people to avoid putting a baby to sleep in those. Um 
or anything that has a raised, soft, cushioned area or keeps the baby in one position or one place. And we're worried here about overheating, but we're also worried about a baby, I mean, even newborn babies for you know, expectant parents out there, um, they do move around. They don't lay statically in one place. Even though they can't roll, you know, usually to begin with, they're not rolling. They still wriggle and move. And the worry is that in many of those things that have those raised, soft, cushioned areas, those babies can wriggle themselves into a position where actually their breathing is obstructed or they can get wedged in such a way that they are overheating. Um, or because you can't tuck the bedding in tightly around them, bedding can get loose and it can go over their head and again, either overheat them or obstruct their, their breathing. Equally, they are not flat. I mean, all the evidence supports a flat surface, not a soft, squishy surface for a baby to sleep in. And, and I do understand because, your mattresses do look quite kind of hard and rigid don't they but yeah. we know absolutely that is the safest place for a baby to sleep and they don't have a waterproof cover on them either so you know potential for harmful bacteria to build it up in that product because babies do poop wee and are sick you know at the end of the day it's very difficult to clean up off of certain products so you know avoid pods and nests please if I can get one message across um please you know put your baby on their back but not in a pod or a nest um sleeping bags we get asked about I'm sure you do pip from time to yeah, time that's another common one isn't it because again they look really cute <laughs> yeah are they a good idea aren't they a good idea well actually they are a good idea um they are a good alternative to sheets and blankets but there's absolutely nothing wrong with good old-fashioned sheets and blankets but there are some caveats with a baby sleep bag so correct size for that baby don't be tempted to buy one bigger and the baby to grow into it you know like you would a school blazer or something you know you need to have the correct size for that baby because what you don't want them to do is be able to wriggle down into the bag part and overheat or not be able to breathe in there and then the correct tog so they come with a tog rating a bit like your duvet that you might have on your bed um, so you need to buy the right tog for the right time of year as well and make sure that it sits properly this the sleeping bag onto the baby and don't put any other um, bedding so you know just a sheet that's all you need over the mattress and then the baby in the baby sleep bag no other blankets or anything on top is needed um always follow the manufacturer's guidance because you know, each sleeping bag might be slightly different so although you might have bought one brand before you buy a different brand just so you know make sure you read the packaging and read the guidance on there um, and they are a, a safer option when a baby starts to roll um, because of course babies can get tangled up in sheets and blankets they can go more easily over the baby's face and head and we know that the head is important heat loss for a baby we do have um, a really good product leaflet on our website and a little short animated video um, as well and also a video that our ceo talks through about the products that are a good idea to buy and ones to avoid um, and just make sure you know they've they've british safety standard 
um, compliant on there. Um, and you know, just be wary of just buying something from another part of the world that, that you think, oh, that looks quite good, but actually does it comply with our you know, fire safety standards, all of those things are really important. So those are kind of the key things I would say about products. Are there any things that you've been asked specifically, Pip, about? I think they're probably the top ones I get asked about. Um, and that's really great advice about sleep bags, actually. And I'm definitely going to check that video out myself on your website, because actually they sound like they could be a really great solution, but used properly. And I think yeah. that's the key, isn't it? Used properly is, is the, the main thing. That's, that's the key thing. And, you know, other things that occasionally we get um, phone calls about on our advice line are baby hammocks. I don't know if you've seen those. Been asked okay. about um, they kind of string across the top of the cot but they're not firm and flat. No, they sound a bit dodgy. Uh, I think from a, from many safety <laughs> perspectives, I think they're a thing to avoid. Yeah. Um, and I think the difficulty is that sometimes you know, parents will say, well, I've got a pod, but, but, but I don't intend for my baby to sleep in it. But the difficulty is that babies drop off to sleep when you often least expect it. And the times that you want them to sleep, they don't and vice versa. So the risk is, you know, you've got this baby in a pod and you're distracted doing something else. The next thing you turn around and your baby's actually asleep in it. Mm. Yeah, it is just thinking about those things, you know, before you buy products. And as you said earlier, keep it simple. Keep it simple, keep it safe is our sort of mantra, really. Definitely. And actually things like nests and pods, are quite expensive and that's an additional Ooh. item that you're then buying that you don't need to um, exactly so it's yeah. kind of an unnecessary and potentially unsafe product so stay away and, and invest your money in much nicer things especially now that we can go out for lunch dates and things <laughs> exactly <laughs> get your baby out into the fresh air yeah, yeah. <laughs> socialize <laughs> Amazing. Thank you, Stella. So we've, we've spoken about some of um, the products and sleep positions, but what about where our baby should sleep? What advice can you give us on that? Well, we know um, from research, we know that the safest place for a baby to sleep for the first six months of its life is in the same room as the adult, which is usually the parent, but it could be another carer, couldn't it? Um, for both daytime sleeps and nighttime sleeps. And when a baby sleeps in the same room as an adult, then the SIDS chance is halved. Wow. So it's quite dramatic than putting a baby somewhere separate on its own to sleep. And we know from you know, phone calls that we get in on our helpline that actually COVID has been quite tricky for some parents because households have been very different during that period with homeschooling going on of other children, with um, adults working from home. So sometimes babies aren't sleeping where they would usually sleep um, because actually somebody needs to make a really important phone call for work or somebody's trying to do their homework. So actually we'll just put the baby in another room temporarily so we can just help you with your maths, you know, babies somewhere else. So COVID has actually changed also what people are actually practically doing and how they're managing. So it is really good to have that baby in that environment anyway for socialization. So you know, having a Moses basket or a travel cot or a carry cot, those kind of things, if you can have one, I appreciate that not everybody can afford multiple sleeping items. 
um, they are a good option during the day to put the baby in and have that baby in that environment with other people. It doesn't mean you have to stand over and check them the whole time. I think people are often worried about that. You know, we get questions of, you know, does that mean I can't nip into the kitchen and put the kettle on? No, of course you can, you know, um, but you wouldn't be in the kitchen for an hour making, you know, tea. You'd bring the baby in with you and you'd be popping out and checking on the baby. Um, and if you think about it at night, you're not awake all night standing over and checking the baby. But it's having that baby in that environment where the adults are to keep an eye on that baby, check it's not overheating, check it's not getting into any problems. So, yeah, those are the kind of really important things about room sharing. And it might mean, you know, some houses, it's actually quite difficult to get a cot in into that adult bedroom, isn't it? A Moses basket fits all right. But actually the baby then grows out of that Moses basket and transitions into a cot there's, there's sometimes not much space in that bedroom. So it's thinking ahead, isn't it? Does that, does that chest of drawers really have to stay in the room or could it just go somewhere else temporarily? It's only for a few months. It's only for six months, potentially. Could it just be put somewhere else so that that cot can fit in? That kind of thing. It's trying to think ahead and find solutions really, isn't it? To enable that to happen. And there is some kind of more space-saving options isn't there like mm. bedside cribs and things like that that sort of sit in a bit easier than a big sort of cot um, yeah there's a whole variety of sort of next to me kind of cots and things the thing i would say about those is absolutely follow the manufacturer's guidance um be aware that the standards for cots cribs bassinets um etc have changed over the last couple of years and it is important that there isn't a complete drop side that when that baby is in it that side should be up for safety for lots of reasons. Um, so follow the manufacturer's instructions. And if you haven't got those instructions, you know, um, then manufacturers, most of them will have an, an online version of the instructions on their website. So, you know, have a look at their website, look at the guidance about how to use that particular cot, crib, bassinet whatever you want to call them and follow those guidelines properly but they can actually they're often slimmer they're narrower often they don't take up so much space sometimes but follow the instructions so that the baby you know can't get wedged between the adult bed and the cot all of those kind of considerations are important yeah that's brilliant thank you Stella and one of the other things I quite often get asked about is the idea of co-sleeping with your baby. Now, I think this is something that's changed quite a lot over the years. I wonder if you'd give us some of the up-to-date advice as of 2021 um, on kind of yeah. co-sleeping. <laughs> so co-sleeping, the, the word, describes all types of situation where an adult might sleep with their baby. So that does include bed sharing, but it does also sleep, involve sleeping in other situations like a sofa, an armchair, that kind of thing. So the first thing to say is not to be tempted to co-sleep with a baby on a sofa or an armchair. That increases the risk of SIDS by 50 times. Wow, that's huge, it, isn't it? It's absolutely I mean, enormous. And tired parents, that's 
quite often as sort it's of so an easy. act, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And when we say co-sleeping, it does mean, as you rightly say, Pip, it means the adult sleeping as well as the baby sleeping. So we're not talking about having a cuddle. We're talking about, you know, properly going to sleep with a baby. But as you say, you you know, you lie down, you're cuddling your baby, it's all snuggly and warm. Next thing you know, you've dropped off yourself because you're probably sleep deprived and shattered. Yeah. Actually, this is lovely and, you know, a lovely feeling of bonding and attachment and warmth and you you fall asleep. Uh, so, you know, be really cautious about that and the risks. And we know that, you know, it, it's not exclusive to, you know, just mums dropping off. Um, anybody, any adult can drop off easily with a baby. And then the other risks, of course, are a non-SIDS risk with that. You know, the baby can fall on the floor. It could get trapped between the adult and the back of the sofa or the side of the armchair. And then, of course, unfortunately, there have been scenarios where the adult has actually rolled onto the baby. So apart from SIDS risk, there are other health and safety risks. So there's some practical things that, that people can do. You know, you could have a Moses basket, as we were talking about before, or something similar by the side of a sofa. So that while you're having a cuddle and you start to feel drowsy, you can put the baby in that before you've dropped off. If there's another adult around and you're starting to feel tired and drowsy, then if they could take the baby from you, because um, it sounds like you probably need a bit of a, a nap yourself. Yeah. <laughs> actually. So, you know, leave you to sleep. The other adult take the baby. Um so, we, we, you know, it's thinking about what are the practical kind of solutions that, that we could put in place um, to avoid adults co-sleeping on a sofa or an armchair, which is you know, the really, really risky thing to do. In terms of bed sharing, um, we know that at any given night, over a third of parents say they regularly share a bed with a baby. And about 25% say they sometimes do. So it's quite a big proportion of parents or carers that are actually deciding either intentionally to, to bed share or unintentionally. And there's loads of reasons why people bed share. You know, some of the obvious ones around ease of feeding, that bonding and attachment and feeling of closeness to their baby. It could be a cultural reason. It could be lack of space where that person's living. It could be all manner of different things where people, you know, end up bed sharing or they're just absolutely shattered at four o'clock in the morning and they don't know what else to do. And they don't want to bed share, but they decide, like, I've just got to bring the baby into bed with me. So it's better to think about how we can support parents to bed share more safely, given that we know at any given night, there will be parents out there that are, um, and that's their choice, or you know they've they've done it accidentally. So the key things to remember is, if either parent smokes, then we really encourage you not to bed share. We know the risks are higher if either parent smoke, even if they're not smoking in the bedroom, but they are smokers. If either parent has drunk alcohol taken drugs or prescription or over-the-counter medicines that can make them drowsy then the risk is higher for that baby if they bring that baby into bed to sleep and if a baby again is preterm or low birth weight baby so these are the scenarios we would really encourage people not to bed share those are the really high risk 
scenarios. And then if parents are deciding that they are going to make a decision to bed share, or they think that night they might end up bed sharing because they're tired, then the simple things, keep adult pillows away from the baby, all adult bedding, and any other items that could obstruct their baby's breathing or cause that baby to overheat. Sleep their baby on their back. In you know, Sometimes you see some lovely photographs and images online of babies cozied in with an adult laying on its side. You know, please, if you are going to co-sleep, put your baby on their back. Um, avoid letting pets on the bed, in the bed, or any other children in the bed or on the bed if the baby's there. And make sure they can't fall out or they can't get trapped between the, the bed and the wall, if, a, you know, the, if it's right against the wall. And never, ever leave your baby alone in an adult bed. So online, we have um, a short video animation about co-sleeping and within that bed sharing. And we've also got a range of leaflets as well. We have to remember that the safest place for a baby to sleep will always be in a separate sleep space, you know, clear and flat on their back with a firm mattress. That will always be the safer place for any baby. However, you know, there are situations where parents do co-sleep. So better to support them of how to make that safer um, than actually, you know, condemn them and say, you must never co-sleep because we just know that's not realistic or practicable. You know, how can we do it and help them to achieve it in a safer way for that baby? So hopefully that helps a little bit and understanding a bit more about it. Yeah, thank you, sir. That's super helpful. So, so sort of plan A should be their own sleep space on a nice flat firm mattress, but plan B, if, if things aren't quite working out that way or you found yourself in a situation where you are co-sleeping, um, then looking at that video so you can make sure you're doing that in the safest yeah. way possible is yeah. really important. It is really important. And, you know, there is a percentage of parents that make that conscious decision that they are going to bed share. Um, and so it's how do they understand all the information? Do they, you know, if their baby is prem or low birth weight, then then they really need to know that that, that baby, their baby is going to be a higher risk if they decide to cut to bed share. So it's about being informed, isn't it? Having all the information to make that choice. And then if you still go on and make that choice, well, what tips can I follow to try and minimize some of the risk for the baby? Absolutely. That's really, really handy. Thank you. And That's we've touched okay. a little bit, Stella, on smoking mm. alcohol um, and kind of some of those environmental factors. So things like room temperature and temperature of your baby. Yes. I wonder if you could just share the current advice on those kind of environmental factors for us, if that's OK. Yeah, because, again, these are things that are under a parent or carer's control. These are what we would call modifiable risk factors for a baby. So, yes, in terms of smoking then, so smoking is a big, big factor in terms of risk for a baby for SIDS. And we know that if no woman smoked in pregnancy, then we estimate that SIDS deaths would fall by a third. Wow, that's really high. Of not smoking. So, and we know that often smoking in pregnancy can be associated with a low birth weight baby, can't it? 
you know, you start to think about the situations of why that might be for that baby. Um, we also know that the, the more cigarettes smoked, the higher the risk. So one to 10 cigarettes a day, that baby is four times higher risk than a non-smoker. Wow. And that doubles for 20 cigarettes per day. So even if, if parents can't give up, which is what we would hope they would do during pregnancy and then not restart, and the people around them, you know, their partner, et cetera, even if they manage to cut down, you know, that goes some way to helping. Um, secondhand smoke, we also know increases the risk. So it's about keeping your baby smoke free, you know, in all the environments. It's a bit easier these days when you go, I mean, we're not inside cafes yet, but when we eventually are inside cafes, um, it's a bit easier now, isn't it? Because lots of those public spaces you can't smoke in anymore. So babies aren't exposed in the same way that they maybe would have been. But it's keeping the car smoke free, you know, keeping the home smoke free, asking visitors to go out to smoke, not smoke in the home where the baby is. Um, from an alcohol perspective, we know that from some, some of the evidence suggests that um, drinking alcohol during pregnancy or after birth does increase the risk um, for that baby. And some of the research suggests that it, it's, it doesn't have to be a heavy consumption of alcohol. So it could be situations where you've got a family get together, you know, in the garden. We keep COVID examples in the garden and alcohol is part of that social gathering. And before you know it, you know, you've had a few drinks. Um, and, you know, who measures a unit when you're at home? You know, you just oh, fancy glass, nice glass of rosé, in it goes. You don't measure it out in your own home, do you? So very quickly, you can end up with more consumption of alcohol than you probably thought you've had so our advice always is particularly never share a bed if you've drunk any alcohol you know as a parent or carer um, room temperatures are important so the ideal room temperature for a baby to be in is 16 to 20 degrees um, that's a bit cooler potentially than maybe some people have their their you know home thermostat if they've got central heating on at home Always check the baby, make sure they're not overheating. You know, especially newborn babies don't sweat, so they've got to release their heat somewhere. Um, so check, you know, put your hand down, you know, feel down the back of their neck, feel down their front onto their chest. Remember, hands and feet will always be cold, so they're not a good indicator. No hats indoors or when the baby is asleep, because actually, as we said before, the head is an important source of heat loss for a baby. And we know that um, wearing a hat indoors when a baby's sleeping increases the risk of SIDS by three times. Wow, so, that's massive yeah. as well, isn't it? These are really simple things we can do. To simple stuff. You know, when you've been out, you bring your baby in in its car seat, you know, um, you might decide, I'm not going to take it out that second, although we would encourage you to take it out as quickly as possible. But you just, you know, whip the hat off, make sure they're not all wrapped up in outdoor clothing. Hopefully summer's coming, so that'll be a better hope. <laughs> and then a room thermometer. Room thermometers are great. I have them in all the rooms or bring them with you wherever the baby's going to sleep because rooms are different temperatures in different environments, aren't they, in different homes. Um, and cafes can be really hot, can't they? So have a little handy, you know, thermometer that you can pop in your changing bag, 
you know, wherever the baby goes, the changing bag usually goes, doesn't it? So it's a good place to kind of put it, put it in there. Because actually as adults, we're a very poor judge of temperature. And when I used to do training face-to-face before COVID, I always took a thermometer and I asked the professionals in the room to guess the temperature of the room. People rarely got it right. That's a really good point. I love that yeah. as well about putting a little thermometer in your changing bag. That's something I'll definitely do. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, yeah that's a great simple trick. You're going in and out of shops, aren't you? And in and out of different places. Then you go around to your friends and then you're in the garden and then you're home. And yeah. temperature is different and the baby's clothing needs to be adjusted, you know, according to that, you know, take off layers um, and if they have a fever, you know, don't be tempted to overwrap them, you know, keep them cooler rather than warmer is the kind of mantra, really. Definitely. That's really handy as well. Uh, mattresses and bedding, I think they're important. We talked a little bit about, you know, loose bedding things, but I think they are really quite important thing to think about where you're going to actually what you're going to use and put that baby on and what kind of sheets and blankets you're going to have. So mattresses need to be firm flat and fit the cot well the three f's i like that firm flat and flat and fit the cot well yeah no gaps around the mattress and the edge of the cot or the moses basket or the crib or whatever the baby is sleeping in make sure that the mattress is firm so that means when you put your baby in their head shouldn't sink in by more than a few millimeters okay so if you put your baby in and it you know their head head sinks right down, then that mattress is miles too soft. Needs to have a waterproof cover. Um, We would say that ideally, new baby, new mattress, but we know that isn't always possible for every family. So if you are gonna use a secondhand mattress, um, try not to use a secondhand mattress from outside of your home. So if you're going to use one, reuse one that you've slept another of your own children on, because we know that there's a very slight increase in risk if you bring a mattress in, a secondhand mattress from outside of the home. Always check it before you use it. So no rips or tears in that cover, no sagging, no lumps and bumps, that it's been stored safely, that it's been cleaned and dried and stored in a smoke-free area. So don't be tempted to buy your mattress in a car boot sale or something like that, for example. No pillow. So pillow use alone can increase the risk of SIDS by two and a half times. So babies sleep perfectly well without pillows. They don't need a pillow. No cot bumpers or duvets. Again, babies, from a health and safety perspective, they can be a problem. But also from a SIDS perspective, they can overheat using them. They can get underneath them. Um, Tuck all bedding in firmly. So if you're using sheets and blankets, no loose bedding. Tuck it in firmly around the baby, no higher than shoulder level. Um, they can put You can put the baby's arms in or out, doesn't matter, there's no rule, but no higher than the shoulders. So that minimises the risk of that bedding going over the baby's head. Importantly, always put your baby feet to foot. So that basically means whatever they're sleeping in, the feet of the baby go to the foot of whatever it is, the foot of the cot, the foot of the crib, so they can't wriggle down any further under covers or anything like that. And then, as we said, no pods, nests, positioners or anything like that. So those are the kind of key sort of elements around, you know, things that we can 
help parents and carers you know decide what they're going to buy and how they're going to what environment they're going to put their baby in that kind of thing amazing and I'm so pleased you brought up the secondhand mattress conversation because that's something I think I get asked really really regularly as a midwife is about secondhand mattresses and Mm. I always say this is the one thing if you can try and invest in you there's lots of things that you can absolutely get secondhand for for a new baby that's one of the things that if you can it's worth trying to prioritize as a new item really isn't it yeah absolutely or add it to the baby shower list if if yes yeah (laughs) get get vouchers you know from people to buy the one that you want and yeah there's, there's ways to try try and navigate it, I think yeah Marcella, I've read that there is some evidence that breastfeeding could also potentially reduce the risk of SIDS in newborn babies is there truth in that there absolutely is so we've got research going back to the 1960s um, to suggest that breastfeeding does give protection against SIDS uh, yeah, I'd love to be able to say that if you breastfeed your baby, there's no risk of SIDS, but that just unfortunately isn't true. Never going to be that simple, is it? With things no, it, it isn't. But it does reduce the risk. And we know that the minimum duration of breastfeeding to give that protection is two months. But we know there is greater protection for that baby if mum can feed that baby for longer periods, which we know isn't always possible. But, you know, it it would be the ideal for that baby to be exclusively breastfed until it's, you know, weaned at six months. That would be great. But we know that isn't always the case. We also know that for some mums, for many different reasons, they might choose to mix feed. So they partially breastfeed and partially use formula feeding. And, you know, it's a choice, but we know for lots of reasons, Breastfeeding is preferable, but sometimes that doesn't always work out. So we do know that babies, are, even if they are partially breastfed, there is still an association with a lower SIDS risk. Um, we do know exclusive breastfeeding will be associated with the lower risk. So you know, we understand breastfeeding isn't possible for every mum. It, you know, it doesn't work out for every mum or they choose not to. But what I would probably say is give it a go. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you've tr- you have tried. And we know for there are some scenarios where breastfeeding is absolutely not going to be possible. And that's, you know, medical reasons, a whole variety of different things. Um, but there are many other things you can do to lower the risk for your baby. It's not all about breastfeeding. Because I think, you know, bums, um, families worry about that. You know, if they can't breastfeed, then they feel guilty that they can't breastfeed their baby. But actually, there's so many other things, as we've talked about, that can also lower the risk for your baby. So although we would encourage breastfeeding always, we know that in some situations it's not possible for whatever reason. Definitely. But it's another one of those things to, I guess, consider when you're making your feeding choices. And it's another yes. little snippet of information to bring into that decision making. Yeah. And there Absolutely. are so many decisions as a new parent. So it's oh, just aren't there? It's <laughs> confusing enough, isn't it? Oh, it's parent. So is. It's so is. Now, I thought of this next question, Stella about two weeks ago when it was sunny and it was <laughs> and I was sat in the garden getting my pregnancy suntan with 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 factor you know 50 SPF of course 
But I wondered at that point um, whether as we do move into some of this warmer weather, if there is any kind of specific advice that we should consider for the summertime to help keep baby safe, because we spoke about that temperature regulation. Yes. It's when it's warm. <laughs> yes, it, exactly. I mean, keeping keeping them cool is so important. And that is about checking, as we said earlier, that they aren't becoming too hot. You know, so putting your hand down the front or their back, their chest or the back, feeling them, um, you know, looking for signs that they're too hot. Oh, have they got bright red cheeks? Might not be teething. Often isn't teething, of course. It might be because they're actually too hot and their body is trying to cool itself down. So adjust the layers of clothing that baby has on. You know, in very, very hot weather, I mean, we do occasionally get weather that creeps up to, you know, the late 20s or even to 30 odd depending where you live in the country, then at night it might be okay for a baby to just be in their nappy, to be honest. And especially if you have a room thermometer, they can give you an idea. You can open a window where that baby is sleeping, but preferably don't put your baby to sleep directly under the window. But keep that air circulating. Close the blinds and curtains during the day to block out the heat, you know, of the sun. You can use a fan, but don't position it directly to be blowing onto the baby. The idea is it's circulating that hot air in the room, isn't it? <clears throat> Bringing in fresh air, hopefully. Room thermometer, I've said, sun hats outdoors, really importantly, keep them in the shade. You know, baby's skin is so delicate. And, you know, when they're born, they've not, that skin has never seen sunlight. So it will burn in an instant. So keep them covered, keep them in the shade, um, check them in the car seat. So, you know, babies can get very hot in car seats. And the advice is to, you know, not have a baby in a car seat for long durations of time anyway. Um, but check them. Are they getting too hot in that car seat? You know, is it time to stop? Is it time to actually take them out and let the air circulate around them? They're just man-made materials at the end of the day. There's nothing breathable in them. Um, and babies can over, and they're often dark colours, aren't they? They're often black or, yeah. you know. And really we've all done that thing where we get into a car and it's literally like a sauna. And then we yeah. sit there in a t-shirt and shorts. We're not then wrapped in a car seat, are we? No. <laughs> <laughs> we know air circulating around. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> So it's just simple things, you know, to keep your baby cool, check, you know, that they are, you know, physically check them and look for visual signs that they are cool. Um, you know, if you're concerned that actually I think my baby might be unwell and actually that they, they look hot for another reason, then, you know, talk to your midwife, talk to your health visitor. You can also use our free baby check app. Um, which you can download um, from Google Play and the Apple iStore. And that will take you through simple checks of your baby to help you decide whether they are unwell and what to do next. It will guide you what to do next. But in simple hot weather, it is about those steps, isn't it, to, to keep them cool and keep checking them. You know, a, a sunshade or a parasol on the pram or, you know, the push chair, whatever it is your baby's in. Um, if you're going to use a sling, you know, they can get very hot in slings because they're against your body heat and they're completely enclosed around them. So, you know, make sure you follow what's called the ticks rule and you can look at that online. Um, so it's about, you know, making sure your baby's head is close enough to kiss them, you know, that kind of thing, close enough to see 
if they're getting over hot. So in any situation, just keep checking them and have that handy room thermometer tucked in your changing bag. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's that's a brilliant tip. Now, <laughs> talking about tips, Stella, you've shared so much wisdom with us and so many really helpful, practical tips and tricks that I hope will really help lots of parents to practice safer sleeping with their babies. For everyone that comes on, I always ask for three top tips. So I wondered if you could... I mean, it's going to be a struggle to condense this. So well, good luck to you. It is. <laughs> Which out of those, all of that, do you pick? Oh, well, that's hard, isn't it? But go for it. Let's splash. <laughs> I think the first thing to say is put your baby down to sleep on their back for every sleep. Daytime naps as well as at night. Put your baby in a clear. That means, you know, no pods, nests, positioners, no soft toys either in the cot we know that unfortunately more babies are found having died with other things in their cot so nothing else in the cot just the baby and the bedding <laughs> that's all it needs um, and keep and make sure they're flat in a flat sleep space so in a clear flat sleep space would be uh, my tip number two and then my third tip would be keep them smoke free day and night and to follow that advice consistently for all sleep periods, daytime napping as well as at night. So those would be the sort of three things. Three take-home tips. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it's about um, their position, where you put them, and keeping them smoke-free. Amazing. Stella, thank you so much for your time. I am so grateful, and I really hope that this all of this amazing information will help reassure lots of parents and get them to start exploring safer sleeping and not be scared to delve into the Lullaby Trust website and taking all those tips on board because it really can help save your baby's life at the end of the day. So. Absolutely. And all these things we've talked about, there are five free little short bite-sized presentations on the website, on the Safer Sleep Advice page. Um, they're all short. In fact, they're all recorded by me. So if you've not had enough of my voice, you can hear them again. <laughs> they talk in more detail even than we talked about about the certain the topics today. So have a look at those as well. Signpost, you know, anybody else that's going to be looking after your baby. Um, so everybody around that baby understands and knows safer sleep advice. And then if you're, you know, you want help and support yourself, you you any parent any carer and professionals can ring our helpline, our advice line information advice line especially about products because often things you know parents see a product and think oh can I use that I don't I'm not quite sure then you know it's a free phone number the number's on the website ring in and speak to one of our, our advisors and they'll kind of talk you through you know, your concern or, you know, help you decide what to do in a situation. Oh, Stella, you're an absolute star. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the amazing work you're doing to help us to um, practice safer sleeping. Well, thank you for asking me. Thank you, Stella. Have a lovely day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women we can reach out to and empower. For daily free information, inspiration or details on our bespoke antenatal education courses, 
head over to my social medias at midwife underscore pip and my website midwifepip.com. I would love to hear from expectant mums who have found this episode useful and wish to embrace a further support on their wellness journey. Pop your details in the Your Pregnancy Journey tab on my website and I will be back in touch. Thank you and see you next time.